episode of Dope Nostalgia. I'm your host, Naomi. And I want to thank you guys because something really awesome happened. We charted on the Apple Music podcast chart under Canadian chart, on the Canadian chart, under music history. And I want to thank you guys so much for supporting the show, sharing it, telling your friends about it, and just being listeners. So thank you. I want to keep providing quality content for you for as long as I can. And there were so many artists in the 90s that we've got material for days. This episode right now is about a band called Odds, a Canadian treasure. And a good friend, musician Ruben Anderson, took some time to chat with me about our love for this band. It's a mutual love. RubenAndersonMusic.com. You can go find his music, and he's an amazing artist himself in his own right. I've known him for years, and we haven't had a good, good long chat like this ever. And it was a pleasure to sit down and talk with Ruben about a band we both love so much. And we also mentioned, we were like, oh, I wonder if, uh, if we could get a member of the Odds on the show. Also, ooh, my mistake. It's not the Odds. It's Odds. Odds. Not the Odds. We'll explain more about that later. But yes, Craig Northey decided he would join us, and uh, he's good. he did an interview with me after I, Ruben and I had this chat. So this is going to be a two-part episode where Craig Northey and I will be having our chat about odds right now. Check this out. Let's welcome Ruben Anderson to the show. Angie, come over here and hold the phone for me. <laughs> Just, yeah, for an hour, maybe two. Angie. Hi. You're so accommodating with your holding the phone for an hour. That's well, very kind of you. She's actually way more accommodating even than that because this is she has the Zoom app. Like my phone is so full of pictures and podcasts and whatnot that I couldn't actually download the Zoom app the other day. And this yeah. is now the second podcast. Because when I did learn to listen, I had to use her phone. So she's given up her phone for an hour, which in these COVID times is <laughs> an exceptional, an exceptional giving. So thank well, you. For she should have a special place in this podcast. So she should. She should. It's in my heart. And I think that's enough. <laughs> well, thank you so much for the use of your phone, Angie. We appreciate it. Go, yeah. Put her in the credits. Put her in the liner notes. That's right. I'm going to give her a special shout out. But, uh, yeah, welcome, Ruben, to the show. We've gone Thanks. back. We go back quite a few years. Yeah, I don't know. I was trying to think if we met either at Rosario's karaoke mm -hmm. or potentially at uh, Hooligans. Um, you were hosting the open mic there. That uh, I used to, Hooligans is not far from my house, so I used to enjoy that little watering hole. They do triples and pony kegs for like 10 bucks, and that was always a good time. You know... I still say to this day, probably half the people in my life currently I met at Hooligans. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I think that bar had a huge, that shithole in the wall, man, had a huge impact yeah. on my life. Yeah, me too. It was, uh, it was a good, good spot. There's something to be said for dive bars. Absolutely. I miss, uh, I miss sideliners. That's the, that's the dive bar that I'm missing most these days. I don't know if I need, I need to find something else that's, that's close by here. Because I, I like a lot of bars on you know near the white ave area and whatnot or downtown but that's uh it's an expensive uber and i'd love to be able to just walk home from you know 
Like seven, seven, 124th Street, I could really potentially walk home from there. Mm-hmm. It's like an hour walk, probably. I'm not sure what area you're in. I'm in Mayfield. Okay. West of, uh, of 124th. West Actually, of yeah, you could. That would be a nice like half hour walk. That's not bad. It's not bad at all. Maybe 45 minutes. Yeah. Good time to reflect and maybe sober up a little. <laughs> there might be some uh, fast food spots on the way home or you never know. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. That's the way out my, you know, during this uh, pandemic, I've been sheltered up for two months, just like everyone. And I stepped on the scale and I said, damn, this is great. I'm the exact same weight as I was going into it. And then my sister tells me that's because muscle turns into fat. Don't you know? Uh, <laughs> she's, like, <laughs> she's like, are your pants too tight? I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, uh, I mean, if our muscle is also turning into fat, Plus, our food that we're eating is turning into fat. We are heavier over here than we than we have been uh, ever in our lives. Essentially, there's going to be a huge, uh, uh, probably, what's the word for it? A boom, a boom, if, like at the gyms when it's safe again. Yeah, gyms. I mean, I know a lot of gyms are really on the edge of being able to make it through this, right? Mm-hmm. So, depending on their lease agreements and whatnot, if they're being held accountable for full rent through this time that that's enough to put most independently owned gyms out, you know, like the golds um, and a lot of the, the big larger corporations might be able to weather that storm a little bit better mm. than but, you know, if you own a small independent, like boxing gym or, or what have you, it's like that, that can go away so quickly, you know, two, two, three months of paying rent without any income or mm. paying all your expenses. Cause you're, you know, you're still paying your heat and your water and whatever other even if you're not using it, you have to do it to keep it, right? Exactly. So I know a lot of uh, landlords are being flexible, and I, I assume I don't know where the buck stops at that. If it's at the the Canadian government has set up quite a few programs to help businesses out, to help obviously there's the curb benefit that's helping a lot of uh, individuals that have lost their employment income through COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm with $2,000 a month, essentially, for they made it really accessible for everyone. And for some people, that's even more than what they were making. If you were just working a part-time job, working one shift a week, getting two grand a month is, is you're like, you're laughing with that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, um, we wanted to talk about the band Odds today. That was uh, an album, yeah. their very first album is very near and dear to your heart. Yeah, well, they're like, I guess it'd be their second like, uh, or maybe even third album, but their first uh, really, really big album, Good Weird Feeling, it went uh, platinum actually. And uh, that was, uh, that album remains very near and dear to my heart and one of my biggest influences. You know, there's this big Facebook craze of list your top 10 albums with a picture of the album and say nothing about it. <laughs> and I don't know, <laughs> my girlfriend actually, Angie's just tagged me and, and asking me to do that. And I did it like, I don't know, a year ago or two years ago. Um, but I'm just not a big chain letter kind of guy anyways. So I haven't responded yet. I don't know if I'm going to do it, but if I did do it, good, weird feeling would certainly be one of my top albums of all time. I have to apologize because I was thinking it was Neapolitan for some reason. No, Neapolitan. First album. Yeah, that's got, uh, there's some great tracks like Wendy Under the Stars. uh, (laughs) That was the one that grabbed me right off the bat. I was listening to them all afternoon and that song came on and I hadn't heard it before. Oh, really? um, but it grabs you right away because the lyric is so like blatant and, and, and the chorus comes and it says, I was fucking Wendy under the stars the night when Elvis died. 
Um, yeah. Right off the bat, if that doesn't get your attention, <laughs> nothing. Will yeah, happen. it's a really pretty song too, and I always love when when bands write songs that are really like kind of gentle and beautiful, and it's it's a love song, I would say. Uh, but then they add like you know kind of hard language that um, it's just the juxtaposition of you know, the the word fucking uh, with the like gentle, nice sounding. Uh, and really sentiment of the song. Yeah, it's it makes for something first of all that you don't expect when it happens. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's still such a comforting and soft so song to listen to that it's definitely throws you a little bit. Um, yeah, to- uh, the first song that I ever heard actually from the odds was "Heterosexual Man," and I saw the video for it. Fantastic video! It starts with uh, members of the um, I almost said "New Kids on the Block," but it's the Kids in the Hall, <laughs> <laughs> not New Kids. Maybe one too many Centauris. Um, but uh, it starts with Kevin McDonald and Dave Foley and Mark McKinney of Kids in the Hall. And I guess Kids in the Hall and uh, the odds were kind of close all the way through. They were sort of intertwined in a few different projects. I know um, Greg Northey wrote some music for like Brain Candy for uh, the Kids in the Hall movie. Sure did. And, but uh, yeah, it starts out with uh, with kids in the hall doing an improv kind of okay. We need like a subject, and some guys like heterosexual men. And like, okay, and we need a band, odds, and we need a genre of music, rock, uh, uh, and then it, you know they they get into playing the music. And I always thought it was a kids in the hall song. I didn't realize it was an odds tune until like way later in life. Actually, I was like. Isn't that a Kids in the Hall song? And I was like, oh, it's the odds. So, like, like a sketch almost, like for the show? Yeah, because I, I only saw the video. I, didn't, I hadn't heard the song before the video. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw the video and heard the song. I was like, oh, cool, Kids in the Hall. And, and the lyrics are so satirical that you'd think it was just a comedy gag. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they have a lot of kind of like, they don't take themselves too seriously. That's one thing I like about that band. Um, but the, while they do have some fairly serious tones, and in that heterosexual man video they're like as the kids in the hall are known to do there's a lot of like cross-dressing and whatnot Mm -hmm. and that those lyrics come up later in a few different other songs uh where he talks about like cross-dressing so i think maybe craig northy uh likes to wear the lady clothing from time to time possible and And i thought it was interesting because the actual boys and kids in the hall weren't cross-dressed and that was 
They yeah. did all, that video and all the time in Kids in the Hall. Mm-hmm. I love the, the the simplicity of the lyric in that song too. Like, I want to make every woman I see make a make a make a baby with me. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's catchy. Too. It was obviously, I think, the song that got their attention out, the attention of the public. Yeah. From the video as well as just the lyrics. It was on the radio quite a bit. What was the, so was that the first time you heard of the odds? Was that? Uh, technically, but I didn't know it was odds. I thought it was kids in the hall. Uh, it wasn't till Truth Untold uh, I heard, uh, which was the first single off Good Weird Feeling. And I was like, oh, sweet. It's kind of like a grungy, sort of almost like there's some Beatles kind of like harmonies in it. Um, just a, a really a feel good rock tune. Uh, so then I bought that album and one of the things with albums, like I, I'm 40 years old this year. So I was, I was 10 in 1990. And, uh, when this album came out, I was like, I think I was 15 and just the perfect age to really absorb music. And especially in that time, kind of pre-internet, pre-streaming services, when you saved up your $20 and went out and bought an album. Um, you probably weren't going to get another album for like an, a month or two or three. And, uh, and then when you bought another album, it's like you just, you were so much more inclined to spend time with an album back in those days than you are now where there's just so much available that you're on to the next thing that you're getting pop-up and suggestions. Uh, you know, my Spotify playlists have introduced me to hundreds of bands that I wouldn't have heard of. And it's like, in, on one hand, that's great, but on another hand, spending time with an with an album and with an artist can really help you to appreciate things that you miss if you only give songs one or two listens. Um, that is something that I completely miss is the going to the record store, getting that album with the money that was either your allowance or however you got it. But it meant a lot to you because money was harder to come by when you were a kid. Yeah, yeah, like that's more love value. And then, yeah, I would obsess with those albums. I would sit there and read the liner notes while I had it playing. And you get to know every track on the album for the most part, not just the singles. Totally. Yeah. And my favorite songs off the album, actually, my favorite song, without a doubt, is a song called The Last Drink that oh. is all about uh, a guy who loses his, uh, his lady and... Um, he has her cremated and then he's carrying her around cremated in this urn to like their favorite drinking hole and like talking about how great it was when she was alive. And then at the end of the song, it reveals that she was actually, it was all just a dream and she's, she's still alive. And uh, it's just such a cleverly written song. And for me, lyrics are at least half of whether or not I'm going to connect with, with the song. Uh, I love fantastic lyricists and wordsmiths, and people putting songs together in ways that are clever and unique and surprising. Um, and there doesn't have to be that, but I'll certainly connect. It takes a song to the next level if I can connect with it on both a musical level as well as a lyrical level. Jar with you under my arm like a football 
going That is all you were Never big on Conversation and that Hasn't changed since your cremation And I feel most times like you do You know I feel most times like you do I wish that I was hard-nosed By the forest fire with a garden hose And be brave enough right now To start on something new That's like a, almost a 50-50 for you then between mu music and lyrics. I know everyone's yeah. got their thing that they listen for. I'm more music centered than I am lyrical. Yeah. Um, but I do appreciate really well-written lyrics. They're, they're, uh, they're gold. Like I, it's a hard thing to do to, to write lyric to music. So, I mean, there are bands that do it really well and then for instance, I'm going to call out Maroon 5 on this because Maroon 5's first album, first couple albums, I thought they were great lyricists. There were songs about Jane was the album and it was very uh, interesting and lyrically yeah. driven. And then now they're writing this drivel <laughs> where they're rhyming <laughs> ooh and you, you know. it's Even it's, writing it? I don't know. I don't even know if he's writing it. Maybe not. Right. But that's what they're putting out, and it's really sad to see a band that was that talented kind of just catered to the top forty now. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we can't really. We can imagine, I guess, what how we might act in those circumstances. But until you're in those circumstances, with the pressure of record companies and fans demanding the next album, you know, you have your whole life to write your first album, and then uh, that next one kind of has to come and. And the not even the pressure, but the um, it must be so enticing to see millions of dollars in front of you and to not take it because of artistic hmm. credibility. You know, like you could you could make this album that maybe doesn't have the best lyrics, but you can get it out and you know people are going to buy it and it's going to get you. That's got to be tempting. It's got to be so tempting as an artist. And you know, I think. A lot of, you know, especially I'm, I'm a huge fan of punk rock. I, I really grew up listening to a lot of like no effects in the 90s and, mm. and the records, Bad Religion, all punk and ska was big to me. And so many of those bands, like um, most famously, probably Green Day, started as like a kind of indie punk band and then took a big record contract and made arguably their best album, Dookie, which I think is just a fantastic album front to back. Um, but so many of their kind of purest punk rock fans were like, fuck you, you made yeah. money, you're supposed to make money. And I don't think they really compromised too much on their artistic credibility. And in mm -hmm. fact, I think having, uh, I don't know, was it Rick Rubin? Like they, they had a big producer on that album and having that extra money, I think, brought their music to the next level. And I don't think they really compromised much. Although if no. you look at their album they might have compromised I don't know. but um in certainly with dookie i think that was just uh still a, to this day i can listen to those songs and enjoy them for what they are and they're they're fantastically well written and and melodic and catchy yeah. and and some you know maybe not the best finest lyrics ever crafted but still no, i would say i would say that they were pretty good lyricists actually i pretty good their green day yeah writing um but words, i i'm with you on that because i hate the term sellout 
absolutely hate it. Who's to determine? I feel like I'm contradicting myself from my Maroon 5 statement, but who's to determine <laughs> what you want to do as an artist? I, I understand that. I, sure, I understand it's complex and it's not just one thing and there's there's often stories that we aren't aware of behind the scenes and you know yeah I, I don't fault Green Day for taking that money and making one of the best you know pop punk albums of all time personally I I still think that they have good stories to tell and American Idiot was an incredible album like that oh yeah like I I never thought for a second that they compromised anything but I only knew Green Day from Dookie I didn't know right. what they did before that. Yeah, so Kerplunk, um, they were, I would say, like, yeah, definitely the production value was a lot lower, uh, you know, kind of like tinny sounding guitars and, uh, and you know, a little bit rougher around the edges, which I think a lot of their original fans kind of, or fans of, of Kerplunk and Pryor were were into that. They wanted that more um, loose and, and uh they didn't want the refined sound of, uh, of Dookie as much as it was. But if you listen to their their like latest album they just came out with, I think it was this year, mm-hmm. um, it, it is a step further closer to the pop side. And it's barely recogni- recognizable from Dookie, I would say. Do you, do you like it? It's not for me, I don't think. Yeah. No, you have a very but... diplomatic way of, of explaining things. And, and I like that you don't... Uh, not, you know, you're not criticizing somebody for what they've done. You're like, try to see it from both sides. I appreciate that about you. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, as an artist and a musician myself, uh, I know what it feels like to have people just slam you. You know, people might not like the sound of my voice or whatever and for things. And to have people criticize you without really knowing what they're talking about, not knowing all of my backstory. So, yeah, I try not to put too much of that on on other musicians as well. I guess we could all like be a bit more like that, more sensitive to what other people's yeah. reasons are. While still a- recognizing that sometimes there are pop outers out there who are not being artistic at all and only doing what they're doing for the money and making quote unquote art that, uh, that I don't connect with at all and that <laughs> I almost feel shouldn't even exist. But, you know, whatever, someone likes it, they're, get- they're getting theirs. Yeah, Everybody so. likes something and it's a good thing that we don't all like and dislike the same things or it would be boring. Yeah, totally. hundred percent. So I, I feel, I feel pretty good about that, that I can, uh, I mean that 10 album challenge that you're talking about on Facebook, I had a friend, I actually was like, Oh, I'll do it. I put one album up and then I realized I just didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't want to yeah. keep posting every day because I knew for one that I think my friends would probably make fun of my musical tastes, <laughs> which is fine because I, I should just embrace what I, what I like. And I like a lot of cheese and that's fine. Sure. But also, it's like everybody already knows what I like. There's no, there's no point. Yeah. Right now. I have a whole podcast to share what I like. I, I know like you as the myself. biggest Bon Jovi fan in my, in my circle. There's, yeah. there's no one I know that likes Bon Jovi as much as you. That's uh I'm I'm known for that. Yeah. It only took me about 10 episodes before I finally did one on Bon Jovi. Yeah. <laughs> I was surprised because when you texted me about the podcast, you had said that you're going to keep it to lesser known, uh, you know, more one hit wonder kind of under the radar bands. Yeah, that's it, the original plan. Yeah. 
can't for me yeah for you to do a podcast especially a music centered podcast and not talk about bon jovi makes absolutely <laughs> sense at all what i did is i went after their least known album oh okay like their album that didn't do well commercially but it was yeah. for a lot of hardcore bon jovi fans it was the best album fair enough yeah uh, i'll have to go and, and have a listen to that album i don't know that i know it very well i mostly know the hits from uh from mr jovi <laughs> yeah that's the thing about that band is everybody just sees it, the arena rock but they don't get to hear the stuff that's totally not arena rock and there's a lot of it there's a lot of album tracks that are just right not anything like living on a prayer but anyways let's go I, I really took you off course. <laughs> That's okay. That's what podcasts are for. Like, and, uh, and who knows? I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about odds again. But you know what's another thing with, with odds slash the odds? Mm-hmm. Is they got to be one of the bands that deserves the word the more than any other band. It's like to just call the band odds and not the odds mm-hmm. seems like a mistake to me almost. And I would love to talk to them. I wish we yeah. had them on the here because i i know they took the name from uh they were actually playing these like shitty gigs up in northern bc they're from vancouver and uh playing these shitty gigs and one of the guys said to the other he's like hey what do you think the odds are that we get out of playing all these stupid shitty gigs all the time (laughs) and and make of the band and they were like hey odds hey that's a good band name and it is a good name but it should be the odds because everyone most people call them the odds and even i call them odds sometimes because it just it sounds so much more natural to say than saying odds i didn't know until last year that they were just odds last year i think i found out when we were going to see them at the rock fest down in horlack park did you go to that show no you know what they're one of the bands that i love the most that i've never seen never gone to any of the shows and I always had something come up that I wasn't able to do. And then I'd, or I'd find out like a week after they'd been through town that they were here. And I just, it hadn't come up in my, in my circles for some reason. Were you, so ne- I would have been frustrated if I were you to find out they'd already played. <laughs> yeah, it is tough. There's like, there's a, there's maybe six to eight shows that I've missed that are like amongst the biggest regrets of my life. Uh, not going to see to these shows and some of them that I you know yeah that I could have gone to and just kind of I don't know slacked off and and didn't get my shit together procrastinated didn't get tickets you know Mm -hmm. didn't find out about them thought it was on a different day you know for whatever reason yeah some of the shows that I've missed that I wish I'd gone to and odds shows being one of them Mm -hmm. are amongst the biggest regrets of my life and I feel probably pretty lucky to have those as some of the worst things in my life yeah that's true that's true honestly like that's not a that's not a horrible hardship it's just a disappointment yeah. and and yeah. but still looking back on it I'm like oh I wish I was there if I had only known how much you loved them then I would have actually we were doing an L2L podcast that day um and uh yeah L2L podcast for everyone who doesn't know is the other podcast that I'm on with my buddies they're uh Quinn and Charlie and sometimes our buddy Kaylee is there too but uh, we, I guess Charlie had some tickets through his design company. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to see Sloan and the odds tonight. And he, Charlie's the one I think who told me that there's no the in odds. <laughs> so 
that's where I learned that. But I was uh, really happy to go to the show. I was never a Sloan fan ever. Oh, really? And I, and I think as my tastes have aged over the last 20, 30 years, I appreciate Sloan more now than I did at the time. I never really liked any of their songs back in the day. I found their songs irritated me. Hmm. But, um, but now I like, I like them. And yeah, they're, I think they're one of those bands too where they have so they're like one of the most classic Canadiana kind of bands and they have a really kind of truly Canadian sound. And one of the things I like about Sloan so much too is that they have such a diverse, like there's three different songwriters and they all take turns singing lead and like moving around and then playing different instruments in the band and whatnot. I've seen them play a, a couple times and um, they're just such a diverse group of musicians and they really have a giant range in, in tone that they, they put out there. And I'm not the like most massive Sloan fan of all time, but I, certainly seeing them live I was like I was into it the whole time they, they never lost me at the concert I definitely gained more appreciation after seeing them live and I think that'll happen for a lot of music like if you don't the good thing about festivals is it gives people a chance to see a bunch of different things that they wouldn't have caught on if they hadn't uh if they just gone to one person's or one band show so it's kind of yeah. nice to go to a festival and get that experience my I like there was a moment, not to rub it in on you, but there was a moment where Odds had one of the members of Sloan do, uh, I think they did Eat My Brain together. Uh, of course they did. Of course they did. Oh, it was good though. I, I took a little video I'll share with you one day. <laughs> oh, thanks for that. Yeah, I know um, Craig Northy, he's worked with uh, the Bare Naked Ladies, not the Bare Naked Ladies, but <laughs> worked with Bare Naked Ladies. Aren't they just well. called Bare Naked Ladies? They're not yeah. the. Yeah. They are Bare Naked Ladies. Um, but yeah, he's worked with like Stephen Page when he left Bare Naked Ladies. Uh, I, I think he worked with Craig Northey on his albums. Like Craig Northey has, has written a whole bunch for Canadian artists that you would never imagine that he has worked with. If yeah. I could just put that so succinctly. <laughs> um, they did a lot of interesting things. I'm going to get to that later about what happened okay. after hiatus. But um, you've already covered a lot of things that I had written down in my notes. Um, yeah, right on. My story great of discovering... Hmm? I said great minds think alike. <laughs> story. My story of um, learning about odds obviously was heterosexual, man. But then to get my first odds album was uh, because I, well, I had a crush on a guy, a guy who was a drummer at a band in town. And I always used to hang out at the Gibbons video because I grew up out in Gibbons. And because okay. he, he worked there and he was always playing new music and stuff. But eventually he ended up moving to the city and he quit the video store and he got himself a job, the most coveted job of a teenager at the time at the HMV. Ooh. He got, yeah, he got a job at the HMV. So I spent like any time I was in the city, I would be at HMV anyway. And <laughs> uh, I just went in there to visit him and say hi. And he was telling, I was like, what album should I check out? And he told me Bedbugs by Odds. Bedbugs. And uh, I gave it a, a listen to back when you could put the cans on in the HMV and just listen to the disc as it spun on the wall. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I bought it. And um, that, that was 1993 when Bedbugs came out. And I don't think I appreciated it as much as it deserved to be appreciated. I think at the time it was more like, oh, I bought this because I had a crush on him and he told me to. But yeah. 
but I like I ended up loving like a lot of the songs on there and my favorite odd song of all time would be it falls apart super familiar with that album uh oh, yeah. i think yeah i've spun it like once or twice um but uh yeah i, I couldn't even, that, I, makes, I don't... that makes sense though because it's a little bit older than the album that was your first odds album right just yeah. a bit older and and back then a few years mean a, a big difference because you're a kid yeah yeah totally i was 13 i guess when uh when that album came out and 15 when uh good word feeling came out Exactly. So, and like, I just, I'm 41 now, so I just turned 41. So even just like a year or two apart will make a big difference. Yeah, um, can. But yeah, um, so it, it Falls Apart was, I'll be playing clips of songs throughout the podcast as well, so you can get a chance to hear some of them. Um, I'm definitely going to play that one that you told me about earlier, about the guy with the ashes in the dream. Last drink. Yeah, I'll be playing uh, that. Right on. <laughs> My favorite odd song of all odd songs. Yeah. I'll go through the notes here. Um. You know what they also did? Like, obviously, we talked about Heterosexual Man being a fantastic video. Um, this Another single from the Good Word Feeling album was uh, I Would Be Your Man. You probably have yeah. heard that song. And the video for that Barely. is... Yeah, such a great song. I, I play that. I sing and play that song still to this day. I think I was playing it earlier today. But uh, they, the video, they're like traveling through space on a like very '90s influenced uh, low budget spaceship, and like looking for. Uh, I mean, I, I guess it's Craig Northey looking for like his his mate, and it's <laughs> such a good video and has like another good little reveal at the end of the of the video. Um, and you know, that's uh, probably in my top 10 favorite music videos of all time. Maybe my top 20, I don't know, hard to pick. Sure. 
I am getting deja vu kind of like, I recollect this a bit, um, this video. Yeah, the videos that will come back to you that you went, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that existed, but I kind of remember. There's a, to go off topic, there's a Food Fighters video that I brought onto the L2L podcast. Okay. I'm going to look it up right now. But Dave Grohl looks, I think it's called, he looks super young. So we're thinking, I'm thinking this is like. Is the big me? No. It's the slow song. Mentos commercials. Well, I talked about it. Can't resolve. (laughs) Remember that video? Yes. Like the whole Mentos commercial. After these messages, we'll be right back. Analog Brewing, winner of three awards at the 2020 Alberta Beer Awards, is a proud sponsor of the Dope Nostalgia podcast. Analog Brewing is now offering delivery within the city of Edmonton with no delivery fee on orders over 40 bucks. Go to analogbrewing.ca shop. That's www.analogbrewing.ca forward slash shop and place your order today. When placing an order, you could also pay it forward and take part in their Nurse a Pint program and prepay for a pint for a nurse. Mention this podcast in the order comments so they know we sent you. Analog Brewing, taking beer to the next level. while you were gone and something just just like caught me here was uh there was a song I was listening to this afternoon that I thought reminded me of Crowded House I was like man they might be the Canadian Crowded House this band odds and uh, okay. I was like the mo- the melody structure and everything and then I looked I wrote down the, the name of the title and it was the last drink really that song sounds like a Crowded House song to me Interesting. I'm and I'm not super familiar with Crowded House. I know the name. I would uh, suggest uh, if you have time to check out Crowded House. They very melodic, very melodic. I, I I find that some similarities between them and Odds a bit. 
Interesting. That's uh, that's great. So you know the song then, but maybe weren't paying super close attention to the story. As yeah. uh, that's the yeah. that's the thing. My brain always goes to the music before it goes to the lyric. Upon yeah. upon like second, third, fourth listens to a song, that's when I start to pay attention to what the lyrics telling me. Yeah, it's funny too because for me, I almost will never learn the lyrics to a song unless I like sing and play the song myself. Like I'm not, I don't have a natural ability to understand lyrics and remember them. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I have to like write the song out by hand and like sing it a thousand times. And even then, if something, uh, you know, like distracts me in the middle of a song, uh, I'll lose the lyrics and I can't get the next lyric without going back to the beginning and like, singing. It's just, yeah, I need like the lyric before informs the next lyric and uh, it's so hard i'm so jealous of people that uh, just have those memories where they can remember every lyric to every song that they've ever heard without without having to work at it that reminds anyway, me of joining you yeah. on stage one time because i remember we were going to do a song uh just together at the open stage and i i have that fear too where i'm just like yeah but i don't know the words or <laughs> oh, <if yeah>. I... <laughs> I think we ended up doing like To Be With You by Mr. Big or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a great song, too. One of my favorite guitar solos of all time, To Be I With was... You. Did you know that uh, two members of Mr. Big were on the show? Yeah, I listened to uh, the, I haven't got through the part two, but I listened to part one with the singer there. Oh, my um, goodness. That was so much yeah. fun. Yeah, that's really cool that uh, that you're able to get in touch with some of these bands and, and talk to the, you know, right from the horse's mouth. I'm still working on odds, but they, yeah. I, I emailed, I went the prop, through the proper channels and okay. uh, we'll see if, if they, I'll let you know down the line if they end up responding. It's just a really, yeah. for some people, it's a really good time to get an interview and some for some people, it's still, it's a bad time. It's just depends where everyone is in their lives at that moment. That's fair. And I mean, we can you can always do this as part one, and then you could do part two, talking to Craig or or any of them, you know, in in a month from now or two months, or it doesn't. It's not like you're you're under any kind of pressures or restrictions of when you do things. You do yeah. exactly what you want to do with your show. That's the beauty of podcasting. It's just hey, you yeah. want to do an, a a part two on that, or just just do it, do whatever you want, like absolutely. So maybe down the line it'll happen, but. Uh... Um, anyways, I was telling you about a Foo Fighter song. The song was called Walking After You. Do you remember that oh. song? Walking After You. Um, rings a bell. I can't think of it in my head. Was it on that like album with Everlong and, and uh, kind of that first big album after? Uh, I believe it must be because of just looking at uh, it's featured on Skin and Bones. Okay. That was the album. Um, That's I like if I do a quick video share here, let me see if it'll actually work. Let me see. Now you, you might lose my video for a second, but can you see my screen? Wait. I might oh, yeah. I, yeah, there's, he's in a suit. With, uh, is that, that's Dave Grohl there? Yeah, this one. He's like, I totally forgot about it. I'm not going to play the whole thing. I'll get to the chorus. Okay. 
Yeah, I think that's pretty much how it go- how the format of the song goes there. I, I think it's uh, the general idea. But yeah, I, I, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, they're another band that has a wildly diverse sound, right? Like if you think of, you know, a, like that's kind of like a slow ballad and then they have some really like fast, aggressive rock songs and then, you know, they'll do some, uh, you know, almost like 50s sounding kind of uh I don't know what the genre would be, but like fifties rock and just a real diverse range in, in the sound of their songs. It's, and I, I really like the, uh, when they put out the documentary series. Going across the States and recording and all the different. Learning recording. about the, the music. Yeah. The, the music of each city, each major music yeah. city in the U S. Yeah. That was a really cool doc. Absolutely loved it. I, I recommend that to anybody who even just loves and appreciates music, let alone being a musician, just to check yeah. that out. Uh, what's like? It, oh, it's called uh, Sonic Highways, right? Yes, that is right. Yeah. That's yeah. He went to like all the recording studios in all these different cities, kind of the, and talked about music that had come from those studios. And I think they did some recording in each, like that, they put on an album, right? And they recorded mm-hmm. a different song in each of these different uh studios i think that was sort of the gist of it yeah what an experience that would have been for them yeah what a another incredible human being to you know to have been the drummer in nirvana and then transition from that into fronting foo fighters it's just Mm -hmm. such an incredible i i can't imagine what it would take like to to handle that it's got to be you know speaking of the 90s <laughs> just the fact that he was able to take his career and turn it into something golden and completely different than it was like a whole other lifetime yeah ago. It totally, try telling like, a millennial that dave Grohl drummed in nirvana and they're like no <laughs> yeah it's like living two complete lifetimes worth of things that like you know one person living two complete lifetimes worth of of amazing things and i guess i don't know it's weird with talent and um you know i kind of feel like i'm as um as good at everything that i do as i am at the things that i do i don't know if that's a bad way to say it but like you know i'm kind of at the same level like i you know i, I do a lot of different things and I'm not like really fantastic at anything. I'm really more of a, a jack of all trades. And when I pick up like, you know, guitar or singing or drums or anything in music, I kind of can get to kind of a similar level of, of uh, proficiency. And then same thing in sports, like, uh, you know, it's big into skiing and biking and uh, golf now. And it's, it's almost like an equivalent level of like not nearly as good as the like pros but like you know better than all the people that that don't really do that thing (laughs) i think it's a matter of you're living a more fruitful life like you're 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 taking on more different experiences and when you do that you spread if you if you get to the point where you spread yourself thin doing that that can happen but you get you get more experiences and and try new things all the time. My our mutual friend Shane is like that. Shane Gabry, who yeah. used to be the guitar player in my band back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's exactly like that. He he's always excited to try new things. Yeah. You know. I like doing new things and new challenges, challenging myself. There's uh, actually 
uh, I learned about a quote. Uh, do you know who Miyamoto Musashi is? No. I learned about Joe Rogan. He was a samurai in the like 1200s in Japan, and he was a sword fighter, and he, he would fight and kill men regularly. You know, he had like 40 or 50 sword fights, and um, he has this quote. He wrote this book called The Book of the Five Rings, and uh, the, the main quote that I know from it is, know the way broadly and see it in all things. And he believed in order for him to be the best sword fighter that he could be, he needed to be proficient in mathematics and in poetry and in philosophy. And that as he got better in, in these like five subjects, all those things would make him a better swordsman. And I think it's kind of like that, you know, like as you get better, as I get better at golf, for example, which is completely unrelated to music, but it does make me a better musician as well in a weird way like that sort of is it because you can see things from different perspectives that you didn't have before i think it's you know creating pathways in your brain um and i mean it's not a straight line that you can draw from one to the other but it is uh you know it's using your brain to control your body to make your you know muscle memory which is a big part of like playing music as well um there's and it's it's just like neural pathways as well that I think you create that forcing your brain to learn new things and to get good at things that are, especially things that are really difficult, I think is, is good for your brain. And it, it, it brings, you know, the, you know, the quote, uh, a rising tide raises all ships. Mm. And I think it's kind of like, like that, like, um, you know, getting, getting better at something and working hard at something, uh, just makes everything else, in your life that much easier to do or that much better. Thank you for that. I like yeah, that. No. That was very insightful. <laughs> um, I would say what year was the album that, uh, what, what year was it that your favorite album came out? Good weird feeling. Um, I think it's gotta be like uh, 95 or nine. Yeah. I think I'm pretty sure it was 95. I was 15, uh, grade 10. And, uh, yeah. Um, it was around the time they had a drummer change up. Their drummer, Paul Brennan, um, left the band and he decided to join Big Sugar. Right. Another uh, one of my favorite Canadian bands. Fantastic band. Yeah. Um, Big in Edmonton, too. Like, I feel like they're, they have a real sort of following. They play Big here Sugar. a lot. At least they, yeah. they did. Or, or Grady. Uh, yeah. Um, at that time, the new drummer, they acquired his name's uh, Pat Stewart. Pat Stewart was a longtime session drummer, and he was also well-known as Brian Adams' drummer for a long time, back in the Cuts Like a Knife, Reckless days. Another deep piece of Canadiana. Pretty deep right now to talk about Brian Adams. I've been avoiding yeah. this subject. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen his tweets. <laughs> He's the uh, old white man yelling at clouds now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bet he never thought he'd be that guy. <laughs> I never thought he'd be that guy. Oh. It's hard being Brian Adams fan right now, I'll tell you. Yeah. But anyway, so um, later on they put out um, an another album with a song called Someone Who's Cool. Now, yeah. that's yeah. a big song. Unexpectedly big. They actually yeah. wrote that song and intended to put it on a second version of the Friends TV show soundtrack. Right. That never came to be. 
Yeah. But it was imagine, like, sorry. What the, imagine what doorways that would have opened uh, if that had gone through. Because obviously, Friends is one of the you know uh, the part of the zeitgeist of kind of all at least North American humanity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it's not a world. Big part of, it was a big part of our uh, pop culture of that time. And but that song was that was our first number one in Canada, which actually blew my mind. That that with all the hits they'd had before that that was the first number one in Canada for the odds. Really? For odds, yeah. Um, That's weird because that album wasn't as big of an album as Good Weird Feeling. I would have assumed no. True Old, the first single, uh, or Eat My Brain. Like, how is that not the first number one? Right? Like, those yep. both Truth Untold and Eat My Brain were such massive songs off of that to me. I mean, maybe it's because I spent so much more time with Good I got, I did have the album Nest, and mm -hmm. Someone Who's Cool is a great song. Um, I would have called it someone who is cool, not someone who's cool. But, uh, you know, that's just... <laughs> say, I think that's the way to pronounce it in the song is someone who is cool. Someone who is cool. That's what it should have been. hearing that song a lot on the radio lately too more so than any other odd song um on cruise 95 i listen to those guys and that song comes on quite a bit on that station um but it's funny because i remember all the do you remember the first friend soundtrack like the actual friend soundtrack because a lot of the songs uh, i think they geared to a lot of like college radio adult alternative type tracks makes sense i don't i don't know the soundtrack i know the the opening credits theme quite well yeah. Everybody exactly. does. Everybody yeah. knows that. If I wasn't able to hold a phone with one hand, I would have clapped as well. <laughs> with, our, with our second delay, yeah, it would have been a thing of beauty. <laughs> so I guess 1999 was the time when Dorothy decided to leave the band and pursue other things. So that was yeah. kind of spelling out the end of odds at that time. But they never really grew apart. I mean, um, so here's how it went down today in that time they released two compilation greatest hits type albums but three of the members became a band that did instrumental soul music called shark skin okay the, the only one that wasn't included in that project was stephen drake because he moved on to do production primarily so okay he actually produced trouble at the hen house for the tragically hip oh cool yeah i knew they had some hip connection as well mm-hmm so Stephen Drake, I don't think he ever came back to Odds. I think he just was like, oh, that's it. Call it a day. Went to, off to do production. Yeah, well, doing that allows you to stay in one place. You don't have to tour the way you do when you're kind of in a band. And so I definitely understand the draw towards working on the production side versus the performance side. Absolutely. You can get around it a little more, you know, based in one, one place. 
Yeah, especially if you start up a family or or even if your passions might even change. You might realize, hey, I really love production. Maybe I kind of like the yeah. scenes thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Let's say, um, 2002, nope. Garth, go ahead. Sorry. No, you go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, something else I noticed is that uh, Northy worked on uh, Jim Blossom's no chocolate cake which uh was the last episode of dope nostalgia that i listened to it was uh, you and quinn talking about, about mostly quinn talking about jim blossoms <laughs> the saddest episode we've had the jim blossoms episode it was yeah. like, it was heartbreaking i didn't know all that stuff though uh you know that was fascinating to, to learn all that i'm impressed with quinn's knowledge of jim blossoms and, and absolutely uh, yeah, to for him to go through it is sort of the quintessential '90s uh, story and '90s sound with with Jim Blossoms. Um, that was definitely one of the most interesting episodes I've done to date because it was really focused on something that was a, a tragic circumstance. But I learned so much background to all these hit songs that I never really interpreted before without knowing all yeah. the information. Makes you look at it all in a different light. Yeah. But as you were that's one thing up, is that it can change so much like i uh the last album that, that i put out I, I for those who don't know i broke my back skiing in a train park um like i don't know six seven years ago now uh and uh in the year after i broke my back i kind of wrote all these songs and put this album together and two of the songs on the album were songs that had been important to me and that I'd liked before I broke my back, but completely took on new meaning after I broke my back. It's like they had a whole new, like all the symbology in the songs was, was completely different to me, you know, whereas it might've been a straightforward love song. And now it's like just about love of things that I used to do or things that I, that were important to me. It's not necessarily a, a, a lady as, you know, mm -hmm. just about every song in the world. You can, you can look at it as like, Oh, this is like, you know, about a, a woman, uh, at least for me. Of <laughs> course, uh, yeah. also you can look at it as, you know, it could be a symbol of anything that's important in your life. So, yeah. Anyways, that was one uh, of the, that was honestly for, for all the shows I've been to, like for the local bands, that was one of the coolest shows I've ever been to is when you did that album release. Because you, oh, like, you. you had like a video presentation and like, and it just kind of went through the songs and told the story of each song. I felt like I was at VH1 Storytellers and I was really learning about what <laughs> you had gone through, you know? Uh, right. It was super Yeah, cool. it was a multimedia. I wanted, yeah, it was weird to put that all together. Um, but it was, it was fun. Uh, and obviously a deeply personal story. Uh, so I'm glad that I was able to do that. And, and it's funny, after that, like I, I made that album and I felt like I had such a, strong trajectory of like okay i know the next three albums i want to make and then i started i was like okay i went out and i was really ambitious and i recorded some demos and i started applying for grant money and uh then like i got denied on all the grant applications that i made and then that whole thing took like a year and a half and then that project all seemed old and, and i'm like i don't even know what to do with music anymore i got all disillusioned <laughs> frustration like, stage. yeah like maybe i should do a band again or like uh, I don't know. And now I'm at the point where I'm kind of like come full circle on that. And I don't know what I want. I still don't know what I want to do with music. I love playing music. I love, 
I love listening to music and being a part of the, the industry and the scene. Mm-hmm. I miss it like crazy now that it's been taken away from me. Yeah. But I don't know exactly. I don't have this real strong like urge of I need to get these songs out into the world the way I did with that that last album I made. That yeah, that and that album was that show at the artery? Um Where yeah, did I actually did. I did the release at the artery. I did two shows at the artery. I did uh, after a year after I broke my back to the date. Uh, I did a show where I played all the songs for everyone and I recorded it. And it was uh, my, just my first time playing all those songs in public. And then a year after that, I did a release of the album that I recorded. Both shows were at the artery. So I'm not sure hundred percent which one you I would went, have I come went, to. I went to the second one. Yeah, the actual album, the album. The actual album okay. release because I was physically like had the album. So yeah, yeah. it was physically well, out there. But like, I'm just saying, I don't know if you still are promoting that album at all, but if there's a way for people to listen to it, I highly recommend they check it out and, 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 <laughs> and get involved and understand what your story was from breaking your back. Right on. It's just like, wow. Yeah. Um, uh, or you can go to rubenandersonmusic.bandcamp.com. The whole thing streams there uh, for free. It's not on Spotify. I don't know. I haven't really taken any steps to to do that, or on iTunes or any anywhere. Mm-hmm. But it's it's my on my website or on uh, Bandcamp. You're mentally or in you the can same. Buy- Sorry, go ahead. Or you can buy one from me in person at a show if you want. It's got a cool booklet, like a 28 page. Uh, liner note booklet with pictures of the crash and and drawings that my dad did and some like some I was seriously yeah. moved by that booklet like it, it was uh, just ingenious what you did it was just uh, crazy but but I was always like oh. uh, how are you faring now physically are there any fallout from that still to this day or <laughs> yeah my back hurts for sure um <laughs> and I could do I could probably do more like I could eat better and not be such a fat piece of shit. And that would certainly help my back. Um, and I could like I could do more exercise. I should be doing yoga probably every day. And for the first year after I broke my back, I was swimming every day and I worked with an exercise physiologist and she gave me all these different, like, you know, kind of steps of like, okay, today you're going to swim with these weights and then kind of a, a progression of upping my, you know, physical activity to a point where I was, feeling really really good mm-hmm. or at least as good as I would ever feel again and uh, but it's something that is definitely there throughout my day if I I won't necessarily be notice it all the time but I, it, I probably feel it uh, 30 or 40 times throughout my day where I'll like I'll just notice oh my back feels a little weird there like you get like but a it's the new of some kind like a stitch in the back kind of, yeah like to do, I had what's called a fusion surgery where they um, cut a straight line down my spine and then they cut through the muscles in like right in my back and they uh, fused my T12 through to my L2. So three vertebrae, they put screws and pins and bars in and they turned, you know, all three of those vertebrae into one vertebrae. And the bones and the joints kind of heal pretty quickly and no one most people don't use a hundred percent of their mobility anyways so losing five to ten percent of my mobility 
really doesn't make a big difference in your daily routines. Um, but cutting the muscles in half and then cutting them away from the spine mm. is, was by far the hardest thing because they sew the muscles back together. And then you have to like work those muscles out to get them to kind of like regrow together. And it was like, <laughs> it was a, a, a thing that I would have never guessed would have been as hard as it was like <laughs> to go to the bathroom, how much you use the muscles in your back when you're pooping is, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the pooping muscles are broke. Yeah, they were all broke up and it was really oh. hard to poop for a little while. Yeah, it was 10 days in the hospital just laying on my back before the surgery. And then, you know, I had the surgery. The next day after the surgery, I was standing. And then I just stood up for like two seconds and screamed at the nurse and laid back down. And then the next day after that, I took my first steps kind of around my, my room. And then the next day after that, I was released. And I went, I, I stayed with my parents for like two months while I was kind of going through all the physiotherapy to get, get back. And I was off work for, I think, three months. And then I started back on like a gradual return to work program. And now I'm back full, full time. So I was full time back at work after it was probably six months before I was full back to work full time. That's incredible. Just like, I'm, I'm so glad that everything worked out and you're okay, even though there's some minor, you know, there's still sure, yeah. in there, but been, like you're in a better place than you could have been, could have been paralyzed. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, who knows how, how close I was to being completely paralyzed or paralyzed from the waist down. Um, and, you know, but also it's weird because it's like one of those things where I've had so many falls where nothing happened, falls on bigger jumps. I remember going from the top of the train park and skiing as fast as I could and hitting the biggest jump at the bottom of the park in, uh, in Jasper. And I was flying probably a hundred feet through the air and, wow. uh, I had no chance of landing that jump and it was like I'd landed and just my skis exploded off my feet and a big puff of, of, uh, of snow that I was lost in and rolled out and got up and I was completely fine. I maybe, still skied maybe the rest bruise. of the <laughs> Yeah, like not even a bruise. Like, Would you ever you know, ski that's again? The thing about I have skied since. For me to go skiing and to not be going and on hitting the jumps and hitting rails and jumping off cliffs and stuff. It just really doesn't hold my attention. It's not fun. It's not as No, it, it's, it's, it's really not. It's like, it's harder to do that than it is to just not do it for me. Cause it's like, I know I have all these memories of when I was, I skied like fairly competitively. I used to teach skiing uh, here in Edmonton. And uh, you know, I, I have these memories of doing all this stuff in my head but my body just can't do it anymore. And so to, to go and to be, I'm committed to not skiing park anymore not getting back into that. And to, so to not do it, but to still be there, it's just like, it's too hard. Wow. Yeah. Well, I can understand that. That it would be, what about teaching? Oh, you would, you taught already, but what about teaching kids? Would it be worth it? I don't know. It was a rewarding experience to teach kids for sure. I, yeah. I enjoyed it. It's not very lucrative, hard to pay the bills teaching skiing. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. 
it's I don't feel like I need to do it either. Like I have a lot of other things in my life that are like I'm really passionate about golf right now. Um, and oh, and I, you know, music and and I just I have other things in my life. So it's not like I feel like I, I really have this hole and I'm kind of content to leave that part of my life to my youth. And, yeah. you know, I have these that I can cherish and, you know, I don't really need to go and, and relive that stuff. It's interesting when you were talking about how like you still want to perform music, but you're just not sure exactly what you want to do at this point. And that's very much how I feel. I've been so invested in doing this podcast is because this podcast is what brings me happiness right now. Um, uh, I'm having more like gratification out of doing this than I did out of performing for a little bit. I know that's kind of weird to say, but I just needed to switch things up and I still want to perform music, but I don't know how I want to go about doing it at what capacity I'm able now that I'm 41 to look back at my twenties when I started doing a band and wonder, and, and I could see where I made all the mistakes that I made along the way, Yeah, which I learned from obviously, but then there's a shelf life on this thing. Right. So, yeah. so now, so now I'm like, uh, I best years are behind me musically. Sure. I can see what I could have done differently in a band. I think I, a lot of times was more focused on making others around me happy with, with being in the band than I was with us actually getting anywhere. Sure. So I should, yeah, have, been, I should have been this, I should have been more cutthroat. I should have done this and that to get where I needed to be. And I just didn't do it. But, but what can I do about that now? You know? Yeah, no, I totally, I totally get that as well. And you don't know in the, it's hard in the moment to kind of look at things objectively sometimes. So that can be a challenge, but also, yeah, coming like one of the big things about coming out of that and not making the next albums that I thought I would make is like now I'm 40 and to be a 40 year old and trying to kind of start a career in music feels a lot different than being a 20 year old and trying to start a career in music like when you're 20 you have so much time it's like everything is in front of you and if something doesn't go like there just isn't the urgency yeah. uh whereas like when you're 33 and you're like okay now i've been doing this for 10 years and you know you you have some of that urgency and sort of the mix of both and so you you maybe you do something like for me making that album and it goes well and you're like okay this is good i'm on a real straight path that i know what to do and then to not have it go after that to have it kind of peter out um it really kind of felt like the last kind of kick at the can and it's hard to get motivated again after that it is and it's like i don't know that that's a bad thing or a good thing you know it's just a, it's just a thing and i think at this point if we if we are to make music again more than ever in our lives it would be the reason we're doing it is for the sheer pleasure of making music and that's really the only yeah. reason to keep doing it because you love it. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's not a, trying to get it signed to a record label because that's not a likely scenario. Totally. And I would be content to like, I loved making the album that I made. I like went to all my favorite musicians in the city. I had a plethora of all my favorite musicians all playing on the album. And I would love to be able to do that again and again and again. But 
I don't have the like twelve to twenty thousand dollars to just be making albums uh, without having a market of being able to recoup those <laughs> expenses. So the first one I basically like paid for out of pocket. I did a little bit of fundraising, you know, with family and friends and some, uh, you know, you had a few sponsors, I guess, for it. Uh, but yeah, I can't go and make all these next albums that I have in my head uh, and pay for them that same way so that was that was for me the issue so now yeah music can't really be as much as i'd love to just making the albums was such a pleasure and and sharing them with people is a pleasure but uh financing them was very much not a pleasure <laughs> if only we had so, a, if we had the money to make all this music that we want to make it would all be a different story <laughs> it's uh it is that's what you know record companies as much as we might hate them they were just throwing money, you know, and, and they'd, they'd spend so much money and the, the music, the whole music industry was so different. Whereas they, they would only, they might make money, you know, on their Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion album that then pays for so many other albums to be made. That's like, you know, they, they, the, the record companies had so much money, they could just invest in, in hundreds of bands. And that's now cool. because isn't that money anymore it's like they, they bands aren't getting invested in and it, you know we're not but bands can do it more on their own so it's like yeah I don't know, out with the press <laughs> yeah um that's what when i was speaking with james bryan from prozac he mentioned a few times during the chat that like the reason why we were able to go to this fancy dinner with Sony Music was thank you, Celine Dion. Thank you, Celine. <laughs> like, Celine yeah. Dion, he said, was responsible indirectly for Prozac's success. They could do all the totally. things they could because of money that she brought to the record company. Yeah, she brought money in the record company, recommended company, and Nickelback too. I just heard someone on another podcast maybe talking i think it was alan cross have you ever listened to alan cross i should uh, listen to alan cross because oh. I, I respect the shit out of him so i should listen more yeah, alan <laughs> cross is one of the best voices in podcasting and radio mm -hmm. uh and super knowledgeable on music and especially like rock music uh and i think yeah it was him he was talking about how um and i forget the band but it was a band that was able to make a bunch of albums because Nickelback, the month, the record company had so much money from Nickelback sales. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he hates on people that hate on Nickelback because one, Nickelback is very good at what they do. Uh, whether you like their sound or don't like their sound, that's subjective. But yeah. to say that Nickelback sucks, you know, Nickelback definitely does not suck. They're, they're very, very, very good um, at being Nickelback. And yeah. being Nickelback brought in so much money for Canadian music that uh, they gave so many other bands uh, exposure and opportunities that they never would have had if we didn't have this giant phenomena that was, uh, was Nickelback. And the thing was, is they weren't self-centered about their success either. They actually actively helped out other bands themselves with writing yeah, and production totally. and whatnot. They, and they started 604 yeah. Records and they did all these things. Yeah, part of the music community. Paul. Whether you like the genre or not, that's cool. I think one of the lamest things people can say is that Nickelback wrote the same song over and over because that's just weak. That's just a weak argument. Yeah. 
Formula is good. Look yeah. at ACDC did it all the time. Look at them. Same people who love ACDC just Nickelback. And then I say, well, really, you're just being, uh, you're contradicting yourself. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny with Nickelback. Like, I remember, so the song How You Remind Me, I think still holds the world record for most radio plays of all time. And I remember, I liked Nickelback when their first album before that came out, uh, when they had Leader of Men and, yeah. like, you know, a couple of good rock songs. And, yeah. um, and I heard How You Remind Me on the radio, and I was like, oh, my God, what a great song. And I was telling my friends, I'm like, hey, like, Nickelback has this song, How You Remind Me. It's really, really good. And then it was, like, a year later that that <laughs> song uh, broke and then it became the most played song of all time and I think that's what really kind of was a nail in the coffin for Nickelback because people got so sick of that song from hearing it especially in Edmonton you know that song was on the radio just constantly it was every second song uh -huh, boys and, yeah we were just like so proud of them yeah. they're playing it more and more yeah but so how could you not get tired you know between much of a good thing between them and jagged little pill by alanis morissette also being one of the most played albums of all time hey good on you canadian artists <laughs> yeah just killed absolutely. it um we were talking about gin blossoms back when uh i was about to go into the same direction because we were talking about what northy was doing during that downtime uh, right yeah he does a solo album in 2002 and he literally then got together with the guitar player from Jim Blossom's uh, Jesse Valenzuela uh, and they recorded right. the theme to Corner Gas. Yeah, that, that's a cool little like a tidbit of odds trivia. Yeah, so I never knew that till today. And then actually one of the odd songs, one of odd songs ended up becoming the the outro song for Corner Gas as well. So they, they really were connected with that show. Yeah. Um, I think you can say the odds songs. One of the odd the songs. Odd songs. Yeah, the one odds. Of, that makes sense grammatically. Yeah. The odd songs. Yeah, you can throw the the in there because you're talking about the songs. The Nickelback songs? Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't work. Yeah, one of the Nickelback no, it does. One of if you're talking about one of the Nickelbacks, or no, one of Nickelback's songs, you're right. <laughs> one of the Nickelback songs that I appreciate is... That's correct. How you remind English is a bitch of a language, eh? Yeah. I'm so glad that <laughs> I love was the it. first one I learned. <laughs> the only There's so one. <laughs> many like idiosyncrasies in the English language. That's one thing that with, with you know good lyricists is you can there's so many different ways you can bend the rules in english that uh, i just think there's more opportunity for writing within the english language. i mean not that i speak all the other languages of the world mm. but i know within english there's so many little ways that you can kind of bend the rules that just uh makes it so great and so so unique from what i've heard from what i understand about language and it continues to change and evolve. Um, there's definitely new things that happen in language constantly. I am a bit of a grammar grammar freak, spelling and grammar freak. I, I tend to kind of stick to the uh, way I was, I was taught in school. And it, I get very frustrated when people don't use grammar properly. And I think that's something that I need to work on because I've been told by several people that this is part of language and language evolves. 
but I feel like it's not evolving somewhere good. I feel like it's just going into a garbage dumpster. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. And it's hard not to judge when you're like, okay, that's the wrong two, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. um, or that's the wrong your, or that's and, the wrong there. And I just have to keep but it to myself I'll, and just, and just not call them out on it. Yeah. Like, like cause that's just rude now. You, you can't be that person anymore. I guess it's also like like you had the privilege of going and learning all this stuff in school and not everyone else had those opportunities and so someone who might be just as smart but maybe didn't get the same education uh you know we we really shouldn't be judging them uh, based on not knowing exactly which word is the correct word to use in a situation Uh, we should be trying their brain works yeah. And the thing Look is, for it's the like, I might be good thing. at English, but I'm really bad at math. Well, at least after grade nine, I was horrible at math. Like I just barely hung on, but like that, you just don't know how someone's brain works. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of like, I was talking, do you know who Corin Raymond is? No. He's a singer songwriter from Toronto. Uh, one of my, one of my favorites, really, really, really great uh, songwriter. And, uh, I was talking with him about electronic music and I had this really bad attitude about electronic music of like, Oh, you know, like I said, lyrics for me are such a big part of how I connect with music. And so not having lyrics, having a bad attitude about anything, but continue. I know. Right. I do not (laughs) like it. Uh, It all sounds the same to me. And you know, just as, as anyone who doesn't like any genre, Oh, all country sounds the same. All no effects. All punk rock sounds the same to, to a lot of people. And, but anyways, for me, it was, it was electronic music that I'm just like, no, I can't get into that. I don't like it. It doesn't have lyrics. I can't connect with it. And Corin had sort of a similar story. You know, he kind of was like in, and he was dating this woman and she was big into EDM and she was a dancer and, and she wasn't very good with words. And he was kind of like sort of held himself above her in some ways like oh like you don't even you don't get all this reading that i've done and you don't get uh you know you don't get music maybe the way i get music and sort of had this kind of like somewhat pompous kind of bad attitude about it Mm -hmm. and then she opened his eyes to saying hey like look at this electronic look at the dancing to this music as if it were the lyrics to one of your songs and look at how the dancing kind of can can fit within the, the the music and and tell the story of the music and just really like 100% turned him around on you know what is intelligence in music what is uh, creativity what is you know good music versus bad music and you know when he told me that story I was like oh my god I have that fucking exact same fault of looking at electronic music as you know this lesser form of music that like you know that I can never connect with. And uh, I probably still haven't given enough of a chance to go and watch uh, and, and to kind of get to figure out a way to get connected to it. But um, I certainly have a lot more appreciation for it now uh, than I did before hearing that story from Corin. So thanks Corin for opening my eyes on, on EDM, even though it's still not my favorite. <laughs> That's right. I, I like I like that look on it too because I, I was like well EDM 
Is EDM a relatively new genre in the grand scheme of things, or would you consider things that were considered house or techno music in the 80s or 90s to be considered EDM of that time? Um, I mean, it is. EDM, of course, stands for electronic dance music. And so, so there's be. a lot of... Sorry? So it would be, but... I, yeah, I, I think so. Also, yeah. a lot of, uh, like, techno uh, and dance music also has lyrics, too. Right? Like, you know, for... Uh, <laughs> what I was just, uh, what's that song, babe? We were just listening to it earlier. There's this famous techno. I wish I could think of it. I can't. But anyways, <laughs> a lot of that, like, you know, those techno songs from the 90s had lyrics. I think that back then there was a for more formulaic. It was like, and then you have some really cool chick singing this big, like, oh, yeah, whatever she's going to do. And then it go to like a rap breakdown. <laughs> you know, it, that's kind of like the structure of how it was then. Yeah, I have heard some of that for sure. <laughs> There'll be plenty of those acts on the podcast in the future anyways, because that was a whole big thing. And I loved every minute of it um yeah. okay i'm gonna call this podcast odds and ends because i just always divert from the topic <laughs> okay title. um during that breakdown too after the corner gas stuff they um toured with rob baker of the tragically hip as a group called strippers union that happened uh i didn't know them. they also became the core of the backing i'm sorry you were cutting out sorry Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, I didn't know about that, but there's another connection to the tragically hip because you said uh, the you know the bass was it the bass player he left and and was recording for the hip, but then also the other three were out and touring with. Yeah, I think it was a, a guitar player. Yeah, he ended up uh, yeah. becoming a producer and worked on the the Hen House album. So, and yeah. I think they'd gone on tour with the hip as well when they were just going as odds. So I think they were that makes with them. Kind of a small scene and uh, and both big bands in it. Here's the thing that surprised me the most was that the core, they became the core backing band for Colin James for a time. Oh, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, and I wonder what phase of Colin James's career that would have been. Yeah, because he's way more like blues kind of, you know. Yeah. Rhythm and blues sort of kind of a artist not what you'd think of for uh, like indie canadian rock yeah he's right? kind of, he's seems like a guy Gretch. he he's the kind of guy who who plays uh oh different genres to a point you know like he did the big band phase too that was really really great i think it was around the time uh, he, he did like a jazz big band thing and when he opened for the rolling stones in edmonton in 1995 okay Right on. I love that, like, crooner kind of Frank Sinatra. That's a lot of my favorite music. I would love to play, uh, you know, any, any kind of instrument. Horns. I, I played trumpet all through school in, uh, in like, jazz and combos and the concert oh, nice. band at school. And, yeah, I love all of that old jazz. You know, I'd love anything you can snap your fingers to, I think, is really good. And I love the drums in, like, jazz and bass musicality i love uh i love jazz music a lot i uh 
I, I learned a bit about jazz music when I was in school because I took one semester of the Grant McEwen music program. Um, right I, did, I, I didn't stick around for a couple of reasons, <laughs> mostly because I was broke. But um, but yeah, like I got to learn a lot more about jazz than I ever had ever known, um, especially being mm-hmm. such like a mainstream pop fan that I am. So it yeah, made a good place musically. But Colin James has the voice for that too. He has the voice to do crooner stuff. Totally. Yeah. Um, 2007, the band reunites. New guitar player though. So that would have been kind of the defining moment, I think, where Stephen had moved on, um, where the odds went on tour or went on a, I think it's a cruise almost. It's Bare Naked Ladies. Oh, yeah. With Caribbean Bare tour. Lady. Was it a cruise right. ship? Yeah, ships and ships and dip. That was the name of that. <laughs> the name of that uh, production that they did. What a good name! I love the name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good for a cruise. So it was kind of like a restoke the fire, and then they put out a new album, but they didn't have the rights to the name Odds at that time anymore. Don't know what the reason was for that, but they released the new album under the title "The New Odds" as their band name right. when they did that. Which kind of is fitting as well uh yeah new, new odds but then writes back later right and then they now they're just odds again they're not the new odds anymore they are and i don't think it took them long to get the rights back i wonder how you lose rights uh, to your name i don't know you don't pay uh who who holds the rights like where does that uh, uh that's something i've never looked into Do you, are you supposed to immediately copyright your band name I don't know. I don't. I bet you ninety ninety nine percent of bands don't bother thinking about that because I sure as hell didn't. I, Anderson, that's for sure. But I did <laughs> register with SoCal, uh, so the the album is for sure. And I don't know if I have to keep paying money to keep my album registered. I don't know. Yeah. No, SoCal, SoCal, you don't pay them; they pay you. So it ends right. up being once you've registered your works with SoCal, they stay registered for forever and ever and ever until it becomes what is it there's like 50 years and then uh it becomes free public domain free public domain yeah happy birthday is it happy birthday to year? you what's that is it 50 years some amount i think it's of 100 years. it might be 100, 100. Yeah, yeah something that's a good question to look up i don't know <laughs> i feel like public domain takes a long time to get um, yeah. Otherwise, we'd be sampling everything from the '50s and such, and not giving credit. I'd love to know in like a hundred years from now if someone goes and finds my album from Deepest Steps to Highest Heights and and is like singing those songs or something because they're public domain. Uh, I would love to be able to like go in and be a fly on the wall in that music venue. And it becomes like a Canadian classic, like the Log Drivers. Yeah. Home. Yeah, yeah, something like that would it'd be amazing if that, you know, all these artists that, uh, you know, pass and before they're, they become really big and then later on, you know, they're such important songs to us now. Uh, I think it's always, it'd be nice for if those people could still exist in whatever form 
you know, if that if their consciousness could still be around and be singular, and they could go and and look in on us and see what an impact their music has made on us, I think that would be, be a nice thing. Really them. But I believe that when we die, our consciousness goes back into kind of a general stream. I don't think we maintain our individuality when when we die, and uh, so I don't think it's really possible. But maybe as a general sense, our the whole stream of consciousness can be aware of these things, and just not on an individual level. It would be interesting to know what kind of legacy you've left behind, especially when you've left left a lot of public works. You know, totally. Yeah. A lot of times you don't get that recognition about what you've done until you're gone. There's uh, there's quite a few of those those instances for sure, but. It's nice to leave leave something nice that you could say will last for for all time. Yeah, that you did. I, I think the biggest thing. Yeah, right on. Um, you know, for me, it's probably not about um, you know leaving my art out there. It's more about leaving an impact on the people around me and hopefully making a positive, making the world a better place for for the people that that I love. That's that's I think the main focus of my life now not so much you know putting music out there that can be enjoyed by the masses that's a beautiful thing and it's more about caring about people and caring about the generations to come up and and uh making sure they're taken care of i i, I really appreciate that right on uh, what can we plug for you right now because uh you are a podcast master you are obviously you have <laughs> You have two podcasts, which we haven't talked about yet. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess we can, you can uh, you can plug those. I, I host a show called The Rogan Report, which is sort of influenced and uh, inspired by Joe Rogan, the, the biggest podcaster of all time, um, the biggest show, JRE, um, where we talk similar subjects and, uh, and uh, we talk about like, you know, some of what's going on in the Joe Rogan universe. Uh, and then I have a show called Hijacked Headspace. It was the first podcast that was ever, I started out as a guest on episode five. And then by by episode 20, I was a, I was a co-host. And um, it was sort of anything and everything, talking to interesting people here in Edmonton. And not just Edmontonians, but people that were, just whoever we could, we could kind of get our hands on. And uh, it was a, uh, yeah, it was a really fun show, um, but we haven't recorded new episodes of that in like a year. But we have been talking about season three and potentially putting out more Hijacked Headspace episodes. So I believe uh, your podcast, Hijacked Headspace, was the first podcast I think I ever listened to. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. It was the probably first one you I had friends, to. Uh, probably friends that uh, you know, we, you know, we have a lot of mutual friends and probably yeah. we would on as a guest if we were still doing it that's for sure well maybe it'll happen again one day you never know maybe season three i'll i'll definitely let you know if we're if we're doing more episodes and bring guests on i'd love to have you love to have you out do a reboot you know it'll be fun but yeah, yeah. everybody check out those podcasts what do you think about joe rogan's deal with spotify uh, um I'm, I was surprised to hear about it because he's kind of he's bashed spotify originally spotify was going to him and saying hey let's put your podcast on Spotify and we'll give you no money. And he was like, fuck you. I'm getting tons of money from other platforms. So obviously I'm not going to do that. And then they were like, Oh, how about $5? And he's like, fuck you. 
this is the most profitable podcast in the world. So five dollars is what he pays not- everyone else. So what Spotify pays everyone. Yeah, right. exactly. Spotify does not, they're pretty tight with the purse strings, but they really, really wanted to get the biggest podcast in the world on their platform. And so eventually they ended up ponying up. Uh, and I don't know, I've read the article, they said $100 million in a multi-year uh, deal. I don't know if that's true. I haven't heard Rogan say that. I haven't seen any official Is documents from Spotify. It might be. Sources? It might be. I, I, I can understand musicians being bitter, um, yeah. but also none of them like Joe I Rogan can, right now. I imagine. <laughs> yeah. Well, Spotify didn't have to go after them to get their music because they were so in demand, and you know it sucks that that's the case. And I don't love like I have a Spotify account, and I love having most of the music in the world at my fingertips via Spotify. I think that's a great thing. And I think Spotify has benefited a lot of artists through exposure. And as much as we all, you know, we're all dying of exposure and dysentery. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of <laughs> exactly. And, you know, when you, it's hard to, because I know I've seen a lot of memes out there about like, yeah, how about you have a cook come to your house and cook for you and all of your friends so that they can get exposure for their restaurant and people draw like, <laughs> You know, comparisons between being an artist getting exposure and being like a plumber getting exposure for his plumbing. And it's really not the same. Uh, Pharrell was famously paid like $13 for the song Happy um, through Spotify, which had uh, like 100 million streams or something like that. I had no idea about that. Really? Yeah. $13 check? I, I, I don't know if it was thirteen dollars exactly, but I know it was for <laughs> even one hundred and thirty would be disgusting. He got a ridiculously small amount of money, but I think that people that don't own their own, like sometimes people have deals with their record companies where the record company actually owns the music and the artist doesn't own it. And for those people, I'm not surprised they're getting thirteen dollars. Um, you know, and I feel bad for them, but also how much did the song happy being played a hundred million times on Spotify open doors for Pharrell. Like mm-hmm. I would bet that he got a lot of benefit from that. That wasn't necessarily the $13 he was paid from Spotify, but the like a hundred million dollar contract that he got in whatever other projects that he was able to, you know, That's to get true. because people saw this, you know, this massive, massive hit song. So that's it's not all fair. black and white, all gray. And it depends on and the contracts you signed, if you read the print or not. It depends on yeah. so many variables. And also sometimes there's it opened up an avenue for you in other ways that you should be grateful for, I get. So Yeah. It doesn't do anyone any good to be like jealous of Joe Rogan and mad at Joe Rogan because he got this good deal. Don't be that's mad like, at Joe. He's a good businessman. <laughs> yeah. It does you no good to spend your time worrying about that. You should spend your time worrying about what art you can get out there in the world, what deals you can make, and don't worry. You know, use Joe Rogan as uh, as inspiration to go out and and have Spotify come after you. Because yeah. if Spotify is coming after you for years, uh, then you'll be in a position where you can say, "Give me a hundred million dollars," and they'll pay it because you didn't accept the all the other offers for the first three years that they take, were coming after you with. Take the lemons thrown at you and make that lemonade. 
you figure out what you can do with what you have at your disposal. That's good advice. Thank you for being here. It's honestly such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Naomi. Uh, good to see you again, uh, such as it is. And I'll look forward to playing music with you sometime. I would in, like that. In our you and yeah. Angie. And once again, shout out to Angie, Angela. Thank you for your phone. Thank you for being beautiful, Angela. We love you. She's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys take care. All right, thanks so much, Naomi. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Ooh, Angela just got cut off right at the end there saying bye. Bye, Angela. Bye, you guys. Thank you, Ruben Anderson, for being on the show. Odds and ends. Great chat. Awesome guy. Check out his music as well. We said, wouldn't that be cool if we got Craig Northey to come on the show? Yeah, he's coming on next episode to talk about his band Odds and what they're up to now. New releases and all kinds of good stuff. Thank you very much for tuning into Dope Nostalgia this week. We'll see you soon. Social media, yeah, we've got it. Send us an email. Podcast at gmail.com. Twitter, Nostalgia Dope. Or on Insta, Dope underscore Nostalgia. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.